Let's get started. You've got a one-page white sheet that we uh, took a look at last time. Uh, Quick review of our first lesson, uh, which dealt with the love of God. As I went through talking about in the top of the page, you know, there are love, that is to have pleasure in things. It spoke of things, actions, and persons. I spoke of this love having uh, primarily just the word itself having two components. One is of a desire or an emotion. Uh, that is a desire or emotion uh, that is in it. Second, that it is an action. And so if it is to be that uh, love that has a desire to do something, it results in an action. If that love is described as an action, it comes from the desire which is within, uh, and primarily we're dealing with kind of that main word for love in, in, in Hebrew Ahav. So, that's what we saw. We took a look at the first part, uh, kind of got three parts, God's love for us. That's what we looked at before, and we saw that in God's love for us, we saw that God so loved the world, if we're going to go to the New Testament, we saw his desire was to save. His desire was seeing us, and it caused then his act of self-giving in which he sent us his son in order to forgive us our sins. Uh, that is why uh, he loved the world, that he gave, and so we saw those two things uh, going together. That desire that God had had which worked in his sending his son we saw that the motivation if you will to speak in that way was often not spoken of with the word love but in words like mercy and his pity for us who were needy Uh, we needed and God wished to provide and to help for us and it resulted his choosing his electing his delighting and loving us resulted in his action of showing us Mercy and love. I did speak to you about God's love for the world, and I showed you a picture, and I think it still seeks to illustrate maybe one thing that we ought to take home with it. Still quite Let's do a little less. There we go. So we see that God's love toward the world was his desire to save and then descending, the emotion and the action. How does that happen? Well, as you kind of drill down, he sent his son to the Jews, to be born of a Jew, that he might be a light to the Gentiles so that all who believe would be saved. It started working in the Old Testament, but came to clearest with the New Testament. So that those who go out preach the law unto repentance and the gospel unto faith, and that is the way in which his love towards the world is is sent out. We did see, and often it speaks of God's love towards the believer. And when it speaks of God's love towards the believer, uh, not exactly the same. This is when God loves him. He talks about, to those who love me, I, and he talks about, gives the forgiveness of sins. He strengthens faith. He abides with them. He answers their prayer. He gives them a new heart, a new will. And that includes, with that heart and will, the love and, and, and good works which follow, the result of, of those things. I've done the Old Testament, again, to, to kind of just do it a little bit different, but often when we get into the New Testament, as I mentioned before, most people know the distinction between the different kinds of Greek works for Greek, Greek words for love. There is eros, from which we have erotic, kind of self-explanatory. We've got phileo, from which we have Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, uh, that kind of thing. Then you have the Greek, which is agape, which uh, is spoken of both of God and of men. But there's there's one thing that I hear. It is an intentional. It is an uh, thoughtful. It is an, uh, a, a love that causes action. Uh, 
and it is very selfless. But there's one word, and we have to, I'm just going to say I've used it, but we, but we have to be careful. Most of the time when we talk about agape, they will say, oh, yes, that is, do you know what the word is? Unconditional. That's usually the word that they say. It's un- Oh, that's the unconditional love word. Okay, make sure we, we <coughs> understand when we talk about God's love for the world and, and what he did, is it conditioned? Is there some condition of the world? You know, that, well, he only, he only does this if they... No, there isn't. That's a condition then. Huh? That's a condition then. Then it would be a condition, right? Yeah. If if there, you know, if you say, well, he only does it for those who do something, who reach out, who, you know, whatever kind of thing. No, we say, what happened? God, God made this decision to send His Son Jesus even before the world was created. That's how we, we know. Listen, this is God. Why did He do it? Not because He looked and saw something and said, oh yeah, I'm going to send this Son for my Son for you. He saw that we needed. There was no condition in us. There was nothing that caused him to do this. It was his own love from within himself. So when we speak unconditionally in that way, absolutely, absolutely. But what about when we come down here? When we speak of God's love for believers in which he gives forgiveness and faith and saves them, is... Is that unconditional? Well, if it were, then everyone would be saved. There, there actually is, so that there might be the love that forgives. It's required of faith. Yeah, this God doesn't give forgiveness to unbelievers. To the to you know, if I had another group here, what does He do? He gives them his son and says, believe. Now, granted, the Lord is doing this through his word, but my point is that we don't say, and and I guess the reason I'm pushing this point is that so often today I hear words that are either said unconditional love or it's implied when people say things like, well, love is love. If you, you know, any if, if I love my homosexual partner, if I love a tree, if I love, you know, uh, um, is that is that what is that what we're talking about? Are we talking about a God who, uh, when when we get to this, are we talking about a God who accepts everybody, saves everybody? Unconditionally, it doesn't matter whoever, whatever you've done, whatever. No, no, of course not. No, no matter what you have done, you're never outside of God's desiring to save you through giving you the promise of the forgiveness of sins and what His Son died for everyone. There's no conditions. But we do have to understand that only those who believe are saved. Only those who believe are given love and good works. Only those who believe. That's 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 a little different. In the scriptures, that agape is you for both of these. So you, you kind of you have to understand the distinction. Well, I've never heard described as not unconditional. I've always heard undeserved. Oh, I like that. Much better. That's very good. Thank you. Thank you. Undeserved. That's probably the better word. Because that can be used. Yes, absolutely. This is also the difference between God's desire and God's love. God desires that all men come into the knowledge of Christ and be saved. That that's his desire. But see, he doesn't force his desire on the world any other way than through his word, which is another term for his son Jesus Christ. So to be consistent. God's love up here is his desire to send his son, by which he actually in action did it. Yep, undeserved. 
God's love down here is his desire to save all through faith in his son. And that doesn't always, there are those who reject and resist. So, I just want to illustrate those, those two points. All right, so that gets us through our first. What I'm going through with love is I'm going to go for God's love for us. I started last time our love for God. And then I'm going to deal with the third, which deals with our love for our neighbor. So, that gets us with uh, that one. Uh, that's your, uh, let's see, your one page thing. Let's go to the back of that one page, which has man's love for God. We started this one as well. And uh, see if we can wrap it up. There's actually a circle that goes with it if, if, if we can get there. We just saw that man's love for God can also be described in terms of those desire and action. Now, uh, it is a desire to or for to have God's person that is to be with him. As we talked about this love, as we would speak about if it is a object, if it is uh, my love for seafood, then I want to take it in. I want to receive it. I want to eat it. If it is my love for playing golf, then I want to get out on the course and I want to do it. If it is my love for God, I want to be with him, I want to listen to him, I want to have him. Uh, That's what that would be. Uh, In Exodus 33, Moses is talking to God. God has talked about how uh, he has forgiven the people for their golden calf and things of that sort. And uh, at one point, God said he's not going to go with them. And Moses says to him, he said, well, if your presence does not go with us, then don't bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So this, this great desire that Moses says, oh, no, um, it's, it's not the same if you are not with us. Uh, where there is that forgiveness, then there also is that restoration and uh, desire to be with. We see the same thing, and usually I kind of want to give you a New Testament passage so you can see the clarity of it. First uh, John 4:16, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. So there's the first love, what God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. So the one who then, God has his love for us, The one then who loves God, who abides in God's love, who remains in it, that second uh, part that we said, God's love for believer, uh, there is a together with, abiding, a living with, and and that's what we see, this this desire to be be with him. I guess application-wise, you know, it it is the people that that say to me, oh yes, uh, um, you know, I, I love God. I, I, God and I are really good. And I go, so when you've been to church last? Eh, it's been a long time. Well, now wait a minute. Um, you know, that, that, yeah, I really love my wife. I haven't lived with her in three years, but I really love, you know, what? You know, no, that's not love. Um, this wanting to be with him. Then, number two, action. Uh, this desire results in action where there is the abiding in love, where there is this love for God, the resulting actions of love will be seen in our relation to God's word, his his law and gospel, uh, that's Old Testament law, the Torah, the temple, other things. And interesting enough, all of these things are love for those things because they all relate to his person. So um, when you uh, when you love the person, all of the things that are important to the person now become something that is important to you as well. Uh, and so you you enjoy being with them because we play golf together, because we have children together, because we, whatever that might be. Well, same thing with God. Deuteronomy 11, for if you carefully keep all these commandments, which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to hold fast to him. What do we find? We find that uh, this love for God includes 
and, and, and is almost described as, what does it mean to love God? Well, to walk in all his ways. God has set down his ways. He has taught us and said, here are my ways. My ways are that you confess your sins. You go, yes, I, I love you. That's why I want to do that. My ways are that you believe in my promise and trust me. Yep, that's that's. Uh, my ways are that you live a life of, of love towards your neighbor, of good works. I want to do that. I want to walk in your ways, and I don't want to let go. I want to hold fast to you. So it describes, then, our uh, action of loving God in those ways. Uh, to give you some other examples, Psalm 116, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. Because he is inclined to hear to me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. Prayer. What happens? Uh, where there is love towards God, I want to talk to him. Not only do I want to hear him, but God has said, I, I want to know. Call upon me in the day of trouble. Now we come up with all kinds of crazy ideas. Well, God already knows. Yep. But he said, tell me. Bring my needs before me. Talk to me. I want to hear what you have to say. Uh, I want to know what you think of me. I want to know what you've learned. I want to know your needs. Uh, call upon him. And so he says, if I love the Lord, I'm going to call on him. Psalm 119, oh, how I love your law. That's Old Testament. Uh, God's word, gospel, law and gospel, the whole word, Torah. I love your Bible. I love your scriptures. It is my meditation all the day. Uh, what will you find? Believers? Hear the word of God. When uh, well, when the church is open and uh, preaching is happening and we're reading of God's word, we want to be there. Uh, we have our Bibles at home. We use that Bible to prop up our television. <laughs> no, we get the Bible out. You know, it's not just to gain dust on the coffee table. We have daily devotions. Uh, we want to read the word of God. We want to meditate upon it. I want to learn about it. Joshua 22, a little bit later. Uh, but be careful. Take, but take careful heed to do the commandments and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. And and look at the the list of, of verbs, the infinitives, the to love, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways. Same thing as as, as this one. To keep His commandments. That would that would be to follow His, his law, the things He tells us to do. To hold fast to Him. We've talked about that. To serve Him. Yep. Uh, and then it says, with all your heart and with all your soul. I'm going to come back to that in just, just a little bit. But let me finish up these passages. Uh, Micah, uh, much later, towards the end of the Old Testament, uh, prophet Micah says, uh, God, he has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to do justice, do righteous things, do things according to his word, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Uh, he's picking up on this to walk. Now, we talked about walking in all his ways, this walk humbly. Uh, go back to the beginning of Genesis. Who is it that walked with God? And God took him. Enoch. Enoch. Right. And, and so we have this humbly... Uh, Moses is described as someone who was humble and walked with God. But what is this? To love mercy. But what is that? <coughs> to forgive others and ask for forgiveness for yourself? Primarily the second... <laughs> primarily the second. But yes, it does include that. I put the other second first on the first second. But what? To love mercy is, I know that God... So it's our our love of the second one, the second God's love, the conditional. <laughs> so it is our love for the mercy that he has shown us in giving us forgiveness, strengthening our faith, abiding with us, doing all... Yes! Um, now, Pastor Rune, he often mentions that, and it's it's a very good thing to remember, um, is to remember what? Most of the time, your Reformed friends 
will will solely talk about this love as obeying the Ten Commandments. That, that's that's a part of it. That's not you know it's good, but it includes as well to trust in the gospel, to love the mercy that God has given. Uh, uh, it's to walk with God and to love God is when you say, well, how come you're going to church again? I'm going to get forgiveness. That's what I want to receive. So that, that's, that's why I say that's first. That's primary. First uh, John 2, verse 5. You want to look at the New Testament. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. Uh, this perfected means it's come to fulfillment. We know that the love of God is is has reached its point when what? You hold to the word. Um, when you hold to the law and the gospel. When you hold to the, the God who does that. So that is what we see when you have a love for God. It's not just you know the desire. It results in actions of meditating on the word, hearing the word, trusting in the forgiveness, uh, as well as showing love, holding, finding the commandments, all, all of those uh, uh, things that, that are there. Questions? Now, go to your sheets that are stapled together, your white sheets. Go to page three. This is the one I passed out the first time. It's got uh, the believer's love for God on the middle of page three. I included these in that that first handout. So as we're talking about believers' love for God, uh, God talks about how he shows mercy to those, and then those who are believers love him and keep his commandments. That's what they want to do. And then note some of these as we go on. Deuteronomy 6. Now you might remember uh, the yellow parts I added later. See, they're not on your sheet, but I wanted to show you how I expanded them a little bit to, to show you. In Deuteronomy 6, 5 to 6, it says, You shall love the Lord your God, and then it has, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And if I had included verse 6 in that one, it would have said, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. This all your heart and all your soul and, 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 and all your strength. Um, it also includes it in the next passage that's on your sheet, which is Deuteronomy 13. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to, to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And Deuteronomy 30.16 also says, with all your heart and with all your soul. And then I've included back up here, uh, it's not on your sheet, but I added it in uh, so that we can see where the Lord uh, includes this in your heart and in your soul. Deuteronomy 11. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. And therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. For if you carefully keep all these commandments which I command you to do, to love your Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to hold fast in. Similar kind of things. But this emphasis on to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and then sometimes they will add strength or mind, but always that love with all your heart, with all your soul. What is that? Shirley? You don't compartmentalize. You know, you don't put God in just a compartment of yourself. It's with everything. You know, you, you don't say, well, God's in this in my life and he's not in this. Just your whole being. So, if we're talking about loving you with all your heart, with heart and soul, encompass everything of who we are. Nothing's left out. You're right. So it's not just you know, uh, um, love him on Sundays, or or just love him as regards to your family, but not your finances, or love him just yeah. It's not compartmentalized. Is this where we get the, uh, the Roman theology of the, there being body, soul, and mind? Um, they separate into three instead of just body and soul. Um, th- there is some debate about whether the scriptures speak of us as three parts or two parts. 
okay? Um, uh, most would speak of it in... T- I, I'll just say there is debate. I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to explain it in two parts, body and soul, uh, as in the body includes everything that is of the material nature. The soul is everything that is of a spiritual nature. And yet, when we talk about the spirit, we are talking about the inner desire that God gives. And sometimes that, and it's not said when it's an unbeliever, but sometimes that spirit is to love worldly things and whatever. Other times that spirit spirit you know, is, is oriented towards God and his words and his ways kind of thing. So then for ours, it's with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. We would put heart and soul together in the spiritual realm. Nope. This one is the material realm. This is the spiritual realm. And this is, I would say, how it works out, how those two things work out uh, in our life. Is the way I would explain it. And I see, and you can see that at other times they will add things, but they always have those two. Uh, and it is a completeness. It is, there's, there's not. And so, when Jesus is talking to the rich young man, and, the, you know, he says, hey, what else do I have to do? And Jesus gives him to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And he gives him this, this, this thing. He is telling him what? Not just this, it's the whole thing. Of course the man has done, and and if we're going to apply that one, he had done outward things, but the problem was that something was lacking. And when Jesus said to him, and the guy goes, oh yeah, yeah, I got that all done, I'm I'm doing the whole thing, and Jesus says, alright, sell everything you have and come follow me. And what did it say? He was sad because he had great wealth. In other words, it's not that you have to give away your business and everything you have, but if that's your what? If that's your God, uh, you know, outward, yeah, I gave 10%, I go to church, I do this, but my God is still this, is still that. Jesus says, absolutely not. That's not the love I'm talking about. I'm talking about a love which... Uh, um, embraces heart and soul, and thus is going to show forth in your strength, in your mind, in your all. That's what Jesus, it is a total allegiance kind of thing, is what this, with all your heart and with all your soul. I think think it's important for us to remember that when God is talking to Moses here, He's pointing out to Moses and to us also, to mankind, period. Take heed to yourselves. Why do we need to take heed? Because we're sinners. Lest you be deceived. Who's going to deceive us? Ourselves. We're going to deceive ourselves, aren't we? So what's the remedy to this? Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as signs in your hands and they shall be frontlets before your eyes. Does anybody know what a frontlet is? The Jews took them literally there, didn't they? We're not going to go there, Mary. Okay. (laughs) Does anybody know what a frontlet is? I doubt it. Does anybody ever work with horses? Are those the blinders? What do you do with horses? You put blinders on them. Okay. Now, so what is what is God's word? God saying here about His word? It's a blind. It's a blinder. Don't focus on all the sins that your heart and soul actually want to do. Focus on what I'm saying. That's the point of this. For if you carefully keep all these commandments, which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God, and to walk in his ways, and to hold fast to him, and it continues on here, but what does God know? 
What does God know about Moses here? And all the people of Israel. Easily led astray. They're easily led astray. What's true about us? We're easily, We're easily led astray. What's the what's the antidote for that? We got all kinds of stuff we're doing for COVID, which doesn't <laughs> basically mean anything. But we've got the antidote for sin, and it's not that we stop doing it. We've been forgiven for the last three or four weeks, and today too. All the people that come to Jesus with a need what's their what's their response to him he, they come up to him and say have mercy Christ have mercy on me I've got a sick daughter I've got a sore thumb whatever it is that's the way we approach God because we do not live a perfect life and that's our good work Lord have mercy and when when you when you approach loving your neighbor with those words, you can actually love your neighbor. But if those words aren't there, which Moses, which God is encouraging Moses about knowing what the scriptures say, we can't love our neighbor. We can't even love ourselves. Okay, I got a couple of quotes. Kyle and Dalage, an Old Testament commentary, as he describes this, says, The demand with all your heart excludes all half-heartedness, all division of the heart in its love. The heart is mentioned first as the seat of the emotion generally and of love in particular, then follows the soul as the center of personality in man to depict the love as pervading the entire self-consciousness, and to this is added with all the strength of... Uh, See, uh, body and soul, and so explains uh, the Apology, our Book of Concord, as it is describing these things. It says, although it is somewhat possible to do civil works, that is, outward works of the law, without Christ and the Holy Spirit, still the impulses of the heart towards God, the desires, this love it's speaking of, belonging to the essence of divine law are impossible. That's what the law is really aiming at. When it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, without, you know, it is going to our desires, that is, our impulses. Uh, they are impossible without the Holy Spirit. This is evident from what we have already said. But our opponents are fine theologians. They look at the simple second table, the political works, uh, and the first table they care nothing about as though we're irrelevant. Or at best, they require only outward acts of worship. They truly overlook that eternal law, that is, the one which is far beyond the senses and understanding of all creatures. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. So this desire is beyond the senses. It's beyond the understanding. It's something that is inside with the heart. One more uh, quote. Uh, in the Apology 27, says this, All this is full of pharisaical vanity. It's the height of wickedness to believe that they satisfy the Ten Commandments. That is, that somehow you think you could, you could keep them completely. No way. And you could do it in such a way that there are merits left over. Yeah, I did it, and I got, I got extra stuff. I can, I can hand over to you or something. Uh, when these commandments accuse all of the saints, they, they accuse us. You, what, here it is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Saying that accuses us. Or we go, yeah, my heart's not, not that pure. It's not. Uh, and again, you shall not covet. The prophet says, all men are liars. That is, they do not think correctly about God. And so I've quoted before. They do not fear him enough. They do not believe God enough. We, we never can. So it, it leaves us short when we are put in this uh, with all your heart, with all your soul. Therefore, it is false for the monks to boast that the observance of a monastic life satisfies the commandments and does more than the commandments. So when we talk about this love and, and this total allegiance of heart and soul, we finally have to go, oh, now I know what you're really requiring. Not just outward stuff, which which I fall short of there, but, 
this is requiring something, a change within. Go back to page six on your papers that are folded together and it's a loose one. And so we're in the middle, we're on number three. What do we find then? We find that love, this desires and actions of the heart and soul, it's not a work which we produce. It's not something where I say, uh, uh, Christianity is not a matter of me telling you to do something and then you doing that work. Oh, I got to do love. Okay, I'll do the work. I'll do love and then God will be pleased with me. No, no, it's not a work. We find it's a gift. And it's the power that results from God's gift. The love that we need has to come to us from God's love for us through his son. And so what do we find? Even in the Old Testament, this is so clearly taught. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Oh. It describes circumcision. What does he say? He says, you know, you got a heart. And what am I going to do? I'm going to cut it off. Like you would circumcise someone. Cut off the foreskin and throw that sinful flesh away, you're going to have the sinful flesh of your heart cut uh, so that it might be purified, the bad part kind of thrown away, Uh, that's a way of describing us, so that what happens? So that you love the Lord your God. Huh. So it's not a matter of me. What happens? God does something for me. He is the one who, in order to bring this love, he's got to do surgery. He's got to correct. He's got to, and, and that is the thing that he is doing. And then it will result in this. So it's not a work that we put up. It's something, well, how does God do this circumcision? How does God do this thing? Pastorin has been telling you. He does it through repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Let's keep going. Deuteronomy 10, the Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them. That's that first. So he sent his son to love them. And he chose the descendants after them, you above all peoples as it is this day. Therefore, because God has loved for us, therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. Hmm. When you know that God loves you, what should you do? You should cut off your sin yourself. You have been given something new. So not only does God do this, but he says, I have given it to you so that by means of this, you can start saying no to your sin. You can start repenting. You can start saying yes um, and, and receive that forgiveness. We've got this work of God, and it's most of the time it's described uh, with the heart being changed because of what God does, let's think of this in, in, in sacramental uh, kind of terms. Uh, that's a good break. If you've ever studied any psychology, especially Freud, you realize that Freud says something that is diametrically opposed to this. Freud is concerned about our id. In Freud's teaching, what is our id? It's basically what I feel. And what I feel should be okay. Well, this is telling us just exactly the opposite thing. My id is opposed to God. God says, cut it off. Teach it something different. You can't just keep feeding your it because it's going to smother you. And I think if you look around, 
that the difference between people in the 1920s and the people in the 19 or the 2020s, you have a whole world full of people who don't give a rip about anybody but themselves. Because that's what they've been taught. It's my right to do whatever I want. Okay, back to you. We're doing great. I've got two points. Look at to go. Look at Ezekiel 36. Now he describes it in something called sprinkling water. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, uh, and you shall be clean. Oh, wait, I'm jumping ahead. Well, that's okay. We can talk about that one. Uh, um, I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. I will cause you to walk in my statutes, which is what? Love towards God. I will cause you that you will keep my judgments and do them. My word. And then you shall dwell in the land I gave to you. You shall be my people and I will be your God. What is Ezekiel describing? Baptism and the church. It's what's going to happen. He had no idea what he was talking about. (laughs) But that's, I mean, we look at this and go, oh, that's exactly it. And then the New Testament writers will tell us that baptism is the new circumcision. So it replaced. The Passover got replaced with the Lord's Supper. Circumcision got replaced with baptism. We've got the sacraments again. All right, so great. Here's my question. We've already taken a look at we know what it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. We got that. Uh, um, it's it's total allegiance. But in this passage, it says something else. It says one heart. I'm going to read this passage, and then down here, it's also going to talk about one heart. What is that? Then I will give them one heart. And I will put a new spirit within them and take that stony heart out of their flesh and I will give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. They shall be my people and I will be their God. But as for those whose hearts follow the desire for their detestable things and their abominations, I will recompense their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. So Ezekiel is speaking about something else, not just the totality, not whatever. He's going to talk about this one heart, and Jeremiah picks it up down here, where he says, they shall be my people, I will be their God, and then I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever. What about this one heart? What, what is this describing? Is that the church? Tell me more. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the church, the true church, is, a, is in agreement. Like they're one. That's what they are. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're in agreement with Christ. Right. So, where the other was talking about the totality, no compartmental, whatever, this is saying that that there will be one heart, that is, within the church, your belief and 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 my belief, it's all the same belief. It's all one. So not only will he change our heart, but he will change our heart so that we all fear, love, and trust in the same thing. It's about the content. To use Freudian terms... Where did you get Freud today? Oh, I hate Freud. (laughs) I hate Freud. But to use Freudian terms, the scriptures are telling us to fill our id with Christ. Freud's telling us to fill our id with ourselves. That's, that's, That's the distinction we've got going on here. That's why this is so hard to understand. Because our hearts really don't want to believe this. So, verse 21, the hearts of those unbelievers, their hearts have the desires for 
detestable things, abominations, and, and, and all. He says, no, no, no. Not only will your heart be alive, a total allegiance, but I'm going to give you one, one faith, one content, one doctrine, uh, which, which we, we would describe as the catechism, as well, catechism, or the, or, or the Christian doctrine, the basics of the faith, with one heart, so that, uh, uh, the church is going to walk in their ways. When you get to Jeremiah 23, he nails it. They shall be my people, I will be their God. That's, that's the description of the church. Then I will give them one heart, they're all gonna have, and, ah, one way. Now he illustrates to us, there is one way, that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them, that I will not turn away from doing my good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so they will not depart from me. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do good. I will assuredly plant them in this land. Oh, wow. How about the end? God says he's going to do this with all my heart and with all my soul. Well, God... What, what does that mean when God says the, the, the rejoicing to good, the assure, that God says I'm going to do it with all my heart and with all my soul? You're going to die for us. Total allegiance that he was, he says that's my, towards you. Well, it says up there, give them one heart and one way, and Jesus says I am the way. Yes, exactly. That's exactly where that is coming from. Um, at the beginning of the New Testament, at the beginning of the church, in the book of Acts, uh, after uh, there is the uh, <coughs> believers and, and, and the things that they do, uh, there is often the uh, explanation or the teaching that the church is, is together. And so, Acts chapter 4, verse 32, I wish I'd put that on my page, but I didn't. Uh, Acts 4, 32 says, And all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his own possession were his own. And it kind of went on and, and talks about it. They were all one. And then later, they described themselves as the way. Uh, what, what is the way? It's those who follow loving God after him who has loved them, it's those who believe in Christ and Christ alone. There is one way. That's exactly what uh, what it is speaking about. And so, on this uh, on this page that we have, when we get down to the end, and we talk about uh, love is not you know, our work, but when we are trusting in God's love, he brings this forth by killing off our sinful nature, by saying no to those circumcising, killing us, so that we become one and we follow in his way and this uh, one way that we have been given. You know, what is that? Uh, well, if we go back up to uh, before, when Joshua 22, verse 5, says... Take careful heed to do the commandment, the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commands, to hold fast him, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. We all of a sudden go, oh, that's what God does in us. He works that love in us. So our first lesson dealt with God's love for us. The second lesson you can only get with our love for God when you follow God's love for us. One follows the other. How devoted is God to us? Completely. Complete with all his heart and soul. He he says to to illustrate, you know, uh, was willing to give up his son, to die for us himself, to come. Wow. Uh, What does he say about us? He says, yes. That's the kind of thing. I'm, I'm not just looking for a couple dollars. I'm not just looking for a couple hours on Sunday morning. I'm looking for everything. But the only way that happens 
is when he changes our heart and puts that love in us. Where can I get that love? Well, it comes through his word. That's where God's creating faith. That's where he's doing. So, you know, on our pink sheet as we go through, uh, we talked about those doctrines in which we says, yes, this is something that, that God requires, and yet it's something that God gives in the very requirement. Now, in our practice, of God, God, God gives us it all. In our practice, yeah, we always fall short. You know, as I showed you with that one. Anytime you know, we're, we're shown the totality, we go, yeah, I fell short, but I'm not trusting in my love anyway. I'm trusting in God's love for me. That's simply the, the result that which follows after. So, that gives us kind of the, uh, the full circle of the, uh, of the passage. Uh, you don't have this in your sheet, but I went ahead and pulled out some of the passages in the New Testament in which they speak in these ways. And so, John 8, if God were your father, you would love me. He's, he's talking to the, the Pharisees that, that, that don't believe. If they were, and he's not your father, but if he were, you would love me. Those who abide with God will do works of love. Imperfect though they are, but they will do them. Uh, he says you, you, you don't. If you love me, keep my command. Well, that's, what, that's what's going to happen. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Uh, John 14, 28. If you love me, you would rejoice. And, you know, it, it just says it again and again. Granted, we know without faith it's impossible to believe in. So it's simply saying, those who have faith, they'll show works of, of, of love. Uh, that is what God is going to work in us. All right, next time we're going to take a look at our love for our neighbor, our third topic. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have loved us. Uh, you have loved us without condition. That is, you saw our need and desired to help. Uh, for that, uh, we have been taught uh, the way of salvation, which is through your Son. Uh, we thank you that you have created faith in our hearts. We ask that you would keep us in your word uh, so that we might show works of love, not only to you as we hear the word, but also towards our neighbor uh, as we uh, have mercy upon them, just as you did upon us. And we ask that in all our failures that you would forgive us our sins and uh, give us uh, that rejoicing in your mercy and forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.